I'm Dr. Sheldon L. Akins from the Leading Equity Podcast and a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and my special guest today is Jennifer Gonzalez, the editor and chief of Cult of Pedagogy, a popular website, blog, and podcast that helps teachers crush it in the classroom. Jennifer is a national board certified teacher, author, speaker, and consultant who spent 12 years in the classroom teaching language arts at the middle school level, and teaching in various pre-service teacher education programs in higher education with an emphasis on research-based instruction, smart technology integration, and building strong relationships with students. With Mark Barnes, Jennifer is the co-author of Hacking Education, 10 Quick Fixes for Every School. She also offers numerous online courses for teachers on her website, where you can also find her new release, The Teacher's Guide to Tech 2020, a user-friendly encyclopedia of educational technology that can be purchased at cultofpedagogy.com. From backward design to digital mind mapping, we covered some great topics in this episode. So kick back, turn up the volume, and enjoy my conversation with Jennifer Gonzalez. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. My special guest today is a nationally board-certified teacher, a dynamic speaker, author, blogger, and fellow podcaster, all under the Cult of Pedagogy brand. A big welcome to Jennifer Gonzalez. How are you, Jennifer? I am great, Greg. It's really great to be here. I am so excited to meet you. I've been a fan for a really long time as a fellow Kentuckian. I'm in Georgetown just not far from Lexington, and I know you've spent a lot of time in Bowling Green as a middle school teacher, and I actually have done some teaching in higher ed, so it's a thrill to meet you, and thanks so much for being here. Thank you, and yeah, we are. We're just a couple hours away, so you have (laughs) in-house. Yes, you have an amazing following. I was just looking today at your Twitter feed. I think you have over 117,000 followers. So you really have built a cult of people enamored (laughs) with this idea of better pedagogical frameworks in the classroom. Yeah, it's it's been almost seven years now. And um, that number still kind of stuns me because I can remember looking at other people on Twitter when I first started and thinking, how on earth did they get so many followers? But it's just, it happens over time. (laughs) It happens over time. Yeah. And, you know, I was doing a little bit of prep work for our conversation today, and I stumbled upon a great keynote that you gave uh, last year at the South by Southwest EDU conference in Texas. The name Mm -hmm. of it was Aerodynamics of Exceptional Schools. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that really resonated with me is you were talking with this idea about the grouper crowd, that you've always been on fire about better teaching practice, and you just can't turn it off. You constantly want to talk about great ideas, but too many times we kind of run into those 
those dead fish that really don't have that same enthusiasm. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, since leaving full-time teaching, I, I sort of developed a lot more compassion for the people that I called the groupers because I think depending on the situation, we can all be that person who's just kind of a stick in the mud and a naysayer. And, you know, one of the things I talk about in the keynote is that people come to that place because um, they have been disappointed over and over again. And lots and lots of people started off with enthusiasm and found that the great ideas that they had or that they were excited about just didn't work out. So uh, I feel like they get to a place where they just start kind of phoning it in. They don't want to get excited about things anymore. So, um, and I also do think too that sometimes when someone's been in the field a long time um, and new people come in, they start to feel as if, uh, not as if they are obsolete, but I think they start to feel that other people see them as sort of dinosaurs, that they don't have anything to offer. So I think one way to start to bring people in that state of mind back in is to start by um, making them feel seen and valued, that they actually do have something really valuable to contribute. Um, and that it's not just a matter of trying to teach an old dog new tricks. It's a matter of taking their wisdom and expertise and, and you know, integrating it into maybe a different way of doing things so that they can solve some of the problems that have disappointed them so many times in the past. And, you know, I've been blessed to have some amazing people come on the podcast and talk about this idea that we really have to move away from this traditional industrialized model of stand and deliver, this old-fashioned uh, memorization uh, mm -hmm. in the classroom, moving to a more student-centered model. Mm -hmm. But we don't spend enough time talking about how to do that from a teaching standpoint. So uh, just kind of to get things rolling, what does that look like in your mind as you move from a more of a sage on the stage, if you will, which would have been a 21st, uh, 20th century model to mm -hmm. more of a student-centered approach now in the classroom? I think it's, it's actually really, really challenging for a lot of teachers to, to move in that direction. I think one of the reasons it's hard is because we don't have a lot of models right now to look at. You know, if I think people like the idea of it, but unless you see someone else doing it and you see what it looks like, and also you can see that, yes, I can still make sure that my content gets covered in some way, uh, then it's really hard to just sort of let go of the old model. Um, I have seen some, some schools that are doing uh, really interesting things with this. Um, I interviewed some guys a couple of years ago that are running a program they're calling the Apollo School. And this is a school within a school in uh, Pennsylvania, which is a regular public high school. Um, and they have integrated art, social studies, and English into one three-hour block. Um, and what the students do is the students have access to all the standards that are supposed to be covered during the semester. And then those students tell the teachers how they are going to master that material and what projects they're going to work on. And so it's really, really open-ended. Um, there's a lot of conferencing going on. There's a lot of iteration. But I, I think a lot of teachers would not be comfortable with that much open-endedness. So I think in some ways we just need to have, you know, be doing more project-based things in the classroom. Um, and, and even, I don't know, even if it's a matter of now that students have access to so much information and they can grab it whenever, it's really not a matter anymore of saying, let me lecture to you and teach you all this stuff. 
I, I've seen a lot of, of situations where a teacher can just say, look, here is the knowledge that you need to gain in the next three days. You and your team figure out how you're going to find it. We've got a couple of textbooks. You've got the internet, whatever. Learn this stuff. And then here's what we're going to do with that. And if we're looking at the material through sort of a real world lens in terms of why does this stuff even matter? Why do we even need to know this stuff? How, what are we going to do with this once we know it? That's when you sort of move from just information intake to application. And that's when things can really start to get more, um, I'm just waving my hands right now, showing the spreading out of sort of tentacles, but um, you know, the application can start spreading into a lot of different areas uh, into things that really matter to students. Um, but even listening to myself talk right now, I'm realizing that, that so many teachers don't even know what that looks like because we haven't seen it done. And really, you know, I know some of the things we're going to be talking about, I sort of keep returning back to the idea of models, models, models. If teachers are not exposed to models of where it's already working, they're going to have a hard time letting go of what they're already doing. Because even though that's ineffective, it's something. <laughs> it's something that they know works for some students anyway. And, you know, I, I really think that we're at a tipping point where there are so many great things happening in our schools. We're really making that shift. But you see things out there about design thinking, deeper learning, mm -hmm. you reference project-based learning. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I think teachers want to do these kind of things if it's going to create greater engagement in the classroom. Mm -hmm. But I think they're also getting so many things thrown in their direction. They're just not sure what to do and how to do it. At yeah. the end of the day, regardless of what you want to do, it's about good teaching. And in your mind, what does good teaching look like? That's pretty much what I've spent the last seven years trying to figure out. Um, you know, I think if your students walk out of your room every day feeling more capable uh, of, of participating in the world in some way, and, and they're closer to figuring out what their personal gifts are and what their personal passions are, and they've developed a little bit closer to the level of skill where they can actually deliver those gifts to the world in some way to make the world a better place, then, then you've done your job. That's a huge, tall order though. <laughs> so, you know, and what, and that piece that I just said too completely ignores the other piece that I think is so important, which is, um, just interfacing with other human beings in that room. You know, the, the kids need um, smart, responsible, caring, attentive adults who can not only have relationships with them, but also show them what it means to be a participant in society as a thinking, feeling, um, uh, mindful human being. And so, that looks so many different ways. And that's one of the things I try to do on my site is whenever I see somebody doing that in one of the million ways that you can do that, I try to shine a spotlight on it. Because the thing that drove me crazy about teaching and that drives me crazy about the work I do now is that good teaching has like 90 million different iterations to it. And, and no one person can do all of those things, which is one of the reasons why I never wanted my kids to be homeschooled. Because I thought, I want you to get into schools and be exposed to a lot of different people. And, and we are all capable of offering different kinds of experiences to our students. So um, that, was a, that was not even an answer. 
<laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's really a, just a, a difficult question to answer mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. There, are, there are just so many moving pieces to, mm-hmm. to good teaching in the classroom. I remember I spent, I spent 15 years as a school district superintendent in Illinois. I've been a teacher. I've been a principal. I've always really come back to this notion that it's not really about teaching content. It's about teaching kids. Mm-hmm. And we think about how kids have changed. And there are a lot of naysayers out there that say, no, kids are the same today as they were you know, 50 years ago. I would disagree with that. So we have this Generation Z, and mm-hmm. we really have to grab their attention almost in the first five minutes of the lesson, really to engage them mm-hmm. in what's going on. Mm-hmm. So if you think about kids today, how does that impact what your school space looks like, what your classroom design looks like, and how you're really going to going to make an impact with them early on in your lesson? So if you are designing learning experiences for them, that is going to allow them to uh, make some decisions on their own, uh, think about how the content can actually have an impact on their community or some problem in the world that they care about. And if they're going to be collaborating with other students on developing some of these solutions, then what they need is workspace. They need space that is theirs to be able to um, dig into some of these problems and have access to the technology maybe that they need to to do the research and also to develop end products. Then they need uh, places to just sort of make messy, you know, brainstorming types of decisions. Um, And so flexibility in spaces is really key in terms of being able to move furniture around so that students can collaborate at some times and then pull away when they need um, solo time. Um, it's also important to be able to move your materials and your technology around and be able to, to use it in the way that works best for the project that you're involved in. Um, and also, and I did a really good interview with Bob Dylan about a year ago. Uh, he wrote a really, really good book about classroom spaces. Um, you know, and one of the things he really pushes hard on is not junking up the space with so much crap that the teacher has put up there. And I especially see this ironically in elementary schools where these little brains are just, there's so much stuff on the, on the wall. So he really pushes teachers to edit down and take less, you know, take more stuff off of the walls and have there be more spaces where students can actually create some of the stuff that's in these spaces, whether it's just whiteboard space or, um, empty, you know, bulletin boards where students can put things up, um, but not feel the need to fill all of the space up with stuff and color and words and <laughs> empty space is really good for people, especially yeah. now when we're so inundated with just stuff and images and sound all the time, just uh, teaching kids how to just be okay with nothing <laughs> for a few minutes every now and then is a great thing. Yeah, I think that's certainly great advice. Sometimes we just have so much clutter that it's kind of hard to get to the good stuff. So mm-hmm. that, that's very well said. My guest today is Jennifer Gonzalez. You want to follow her on Twitter at Cult of Pedagogy. Also has an amazing website and blog at cultofpedagogy.com. Uh, I know you also have expertise in the area of technology. And that's something that you also have a passion for. Uh, Jennifer just released her Teacher's Guide to Tech uh, in 2020. You can get that on her website. Uh, she also has the 2019 edition. So you can go back and kind of get a refresher course on those tech tools that you should be implementing in your classroom. But when I think about technology, you know, 
we have all these amazing new shiny tools coming at us each and every day. And I can only have so many apps on my phone. I don't know about mm-hmm. you, but mm-hmm. it's getting to the point where it's just very difficult to navigate through what that looks like. But as we think about technology integration specifically, I, and I want to get your take on this, but I've always felt like it, it really doesn't matter because something new is going to come along next month or you know down the pike. But it really comes back to this pedagogical piece that there, there has to be really sound practice in the classroom, regardless of what tool you're teaching. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, I actually, I have an online course for teachers. It's called Jumpstart. And, it, and I, I created it actually out of the teacher's guide to tech because I realized I had this sort of encyclopedia of tools, but I, I had no way for teachers to figure out how to navigate it. So um, I thought about it for a long time and I, I realized that the tools were going to be constantly changing, like you said, and what teachers really needed was to understand the processes that these tools allowed us to do. And once you sort of had an understanding of that, then you could swap the tools in and out and you could let students choose their tools. So for example, this is a 10 module course. One of the processes is just digital mind mapping and understanding how there are lots and lots of tools that allow us to sort of organize information visually and how much that can help us learn stuff. And so we sort of practice that with some tools, but I, you know, let people know there's many, many tools out there. And we talk about how, how you can actually apply this in the classroom. Other tools are like blogging and website building as a whole subsection of tools that can be used in so many ways in the classroom. So the tool itself doesn't matter, but understanding how you could plug it into learning and how it can be used to demonstrate learning is huge. So one of the things that I teach when I go and do professional development is that teachers really just need to be using a backward design approach. So shove all the tech aside and just think, what do I want my students to be able to understand and do with that understanding? And really in an old fashioned way, just back up and say, what skills do they need? What activities do we need to have in order for them to reach that goal? And only then should you start thinking, how can technology actually help us get there, whether it's faster. Sometimes tech just helps us be more efficient. Sometimes it allows students to experience things that they could never experience without it. I find that things like Skype in the classroom, like those virtual field trips that we can take, those are experiences they cannot have without that tool. Um, And some of the virtual reality and, and augmented reality stuff. Um, other times it just allows for greater portability. You know, we can, we're doing the same things that we're doing in the classroom. It's just that now we can take it home. We can do it on the weekends. We can do it on the bus. We can, you know, because it's, it's now cloud-based. So instead of teachers trying to keep track of all the tools, be thinking more about what can the tools do for us? Is that something that, that I and my students actually need? And is it something that we should you know, plug in because sometimes the answer is no, we don't need any tech for this. I mean, I, this is my to-do list. I still keep it on paper because I just prefer it. I keep trying to switch over to Asana and I just can't make myself stick to it. So I think everybody needs to, to give themselves that grace of just, you know, you need to figure out what works for you. And I'm seeing a lot more teachers too, um, giving their students choices in terms of here's what we need to do. Here's our end goal you guys tell me what tools you know of that you think would work for you. Suggest it, I'll, I'll approve your use of it. Because some students might be like, look, I can't stand using this one, but this one does almost the same thing. Can I use that instead? And if teachers can be comfortable with letting go of that control, then 
you don't even have to know the tech and you don't even have to be using it. You just have to trust that your students know what they're doing and that they're, they're going to get to that endpoint um, on their own. And you and I both know how difficult it is to be a teacher. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's such a demanding job and you work with teachers more than I do in your current role with, uh, with the website, the blog and the podcast. But as I think about what, what kind of support systems teachers need, you know, here in Kentucky, we have a massive teacher shortage and I never envisioned, you know, 10 years ago, that would ever be the case. But now fewer and fewer people are going into the profession from the conversations you have with teachers on a regular basis, what kind of support do they need from you, from me, from their school administration, from their teacher ed programs? What can we do to help these folks? I think that you and me and even teacher prep, I think that there is only so much that all of us can do, um, but we're gonna constantly hit that brick wall of, of class size and no margin in terms of time throughout the day. Um, the, the countries that are kicking our butts right now give their teachers a ton more planning time to collaborate with each other, to work on planning and giving students feedback. And um, you know, one of the reasons that I'm not back in the classroom is because I was an English teacher and I would take home at least three hours of work every night and never felt like I was doing a good job anyway. Um, if I had fewer students, if I had more planning time during the day, uh, I would have been able to do a better job. It would have been more satisfying work. And, and, and I think that's what it is. I think a lot of people on the outside of education think that teachers leave the profession because they're not making enough money. No teacher goes into teaching thinking they're going to make bank. You know, we all know what the salary is going in. It's public knowledge. So it's not like there's a shock <laughs> uh, there. But most teachers, and most teachers don't really say it's the kids. There are a few who say that they don't, you know, the kids have attitude or whatever. But for the most part, it's just that the expectations coming from administration, whether it's in the building or at the district level or at the state level, are so out of whack with what teachers can do and even with what good teaching looks like. Um, you know, there's all this pressure to increase test scores and what a lot of administrators do then is to say, let's do more test prep, even though schools that are doing more and more test prep are not necessarily increasing their test scores. What those schools need to be doing is having kids do more reading for pleasure and really learning how to become great readers and those reading scores will then go up, but they don't believe that. And so they just keep hammering away at the stuff that doesn't really work. They're driving the good teachers out of the building and, um, you know, I, I do think for a lot of teachers, it's that uh, every day is so frustrating and they feel like they're just constantly failing and not giving, being given an opportunity to do good work, to do good, satisfying work. And, and so, you know, a lot of the stuff that I do is to try to get teachers to those strategies that work faster because I know that they don't have time to do the research and I know that they don't have time to, to read the journals and to, and so I think, okay, I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to tell you really quick, just try this tomorrow. It's going to make it 5% better than it was before <laughs> because I know they don't have time to do all that nice, thoughtful work. And I know they would love to be able to do that, but uh, we've, we still have a real factory model going on with our teachers too, not just with our students. It's just pounding away at, and, and assuming that that's going to, result in uh in greater gains and it's 
not happening and we're losing really good people to other fields because of those other fields treat them like professionals. Yeah. And, and we've talked a little bit uh, before we came on the air about this idea that change is so difficult in education. Mm -hmm. We're so entrenched in this status quo that it has to be done a certain way. Everyone's an expert because everyone has been in that seat at one time or another yeah. as a student in public education. Mm -hmm. So uh, sometimes, I mean, it, it can get a little overwhelming. You can get a little down about, you know, doing the same thing over mm -hmm. and over knowing that maybe it's not effective. So mm -hmm. what advice can you give to folks out there that are still trying to battle that every day and kind of break through and do something maybe more innovative in their classroom? It, a lot of it comes, a lot of convincing people to try something new is to prove to them that it's going to work. They, they will be more willing to let go if they can. And, and this is why I said I was going to come back to models. It's a lot of times we throw terms around all the time that are incredibly abstract and they sound good, but people don't actually know what it looks like. Like the term innovation. That's the big buzzword of the last year is be innovative, but so many teachers don't even know what that actually looks like. If you will show them, look, this is what I love about the teaching channel. You actually can watch stuff happening in a classroom and go, oh, okay, I can see how they do that. Now I can try that. But if somebody just says, be more innovative, do project-based learning, do design thinking, you got teachers that are like, oh, I don't know what that actually looks like. Show me a lesson in progress and then I'll, I'll know how to apply that in my classroom. So when it comes to individual teaching approaches and also whole school initiatives. When we've got somebody who's doing it in a way that's actually working and kids are coming out of the other end of that, knowing stuff and feeling capable and competent and skilled, what we need to do is say, hey, teachers, watch, look, this is how they're doing it. This is how you would do it because we need to take those abstract ideas and make them concrete. And I think we get a lot more people adopting them and being willing to try them if they see what it actually looks like. It's just with, like with our students. We talk to our students about democracy and, you know, but we show them how it works and then they get it. So teachers are learners too. And they, they don't want to try stuff if they don't know what it actually is supposed to look like when we're done. Yeah. And as you take that teacher as learner piece, hopefully they're still trying to grow professionally and take advantage of opportunities. But it's interesting. A lot of people think like, they have to go to this fancy national conference or they have mm -hmm. to go to this PD opportunity or that PD opportunity. A lot of times I'll tell them, just identify the best teacher in your building. And yes. during your prep period, just go down and spend 40 minutes with them and watch. Mm -hmm. You will get something out of that 40 minutes. Absolutely. And, and it probably will be something you weren't even looking for to begin with. But yeah, absolutely. Just go in there and see what they're doing and be willing to humble yourself to ask questions too. We have a lot of ego problems in teaching. I mean, I think all adults have ego issues, but it keeps us from growing. You know, when we're too embarrassed to admit that we don't quite understand something or we don't know something or why did you do that that way? Um, but uh, man, you can grow so fast if you can just drop that ego a little bit and just be willing to just ask a question that might sound a little bit stupid or, you know, ask somebody if you can come into the room and watch them. It seems really neat what you're doing. Obviously your kids love coming to your class and they don't love coming to mine. Can I come and see what's happening in there? Yeah, I, I think yeah. we're on the same page there. So that's spot on. And thank, thank you again for being here again. I'm a big fan and I, I certainly want to respect your time. I do want to give you one closing thought. Uh, you know, obviously there are a lot of teachers that listen to your podcast. There are a lot of lot that listen to mine as well. What advice can you give those folks that may be listening to this episode? Maybe they're going through a tough time. You know, it's the, 
uh, January, February are tough times to teach. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what, what can you say to inspire those folks to kind of push through as we think about getting to spring? I think when, when we start to feel that way, where it's just sort of like nothing's working, I think that's the time to get very quiet and centered and recognize that every day you walk into that room and you've got all these other human beings in there who you have this chunk of time, 45 minutes to an hour most of the time, to, to have some kind of an experience with these students, whether it's to... I mean, I just wrote a post a couple of weeks ago about making a fart noise in class during a quiz. I couldn't help myself. My students were being really quiet and I don't know what came over me. I just had to do it. And it was completely disruptive and it messed up the rest of the class, but we laughed so hard. And of all the days that I taught, that's one that stands out. And that's not academic at all, but man, sometimes we just need to do something with our students that just makes everybody just happy to be alive and, and, and get ourselves out of the grind. And so sometimes it's learning something really, really powerful. Sometimes it's having a big laugh. Sometimes it's just letting one student take the stage and tell their story that no one has, you know, I have had students come in sometimes and like play the violin for us. And all of a sudden everybody turns around and goes, Whoa, I never paid any attention to that kid before. And it's, you, if you can just have a moment every day in some way, um, then I think that class was worth it. And I think if you're in that February grind, just start asking yourself, what can I do with this one hour just so that to make it memorable in some way? And then you go home knowing you did something worthwhile. And I think that's great advice. And it's certainly a great way to close the show, folks. So you want to check out Jennifer Gonzalez. You're going to Follow her on Twitter at Cult of Pedagogy and also the, the website of the same name. Uh, fantastic blog, and uh, you certainly want to check it out. Check out the podcast. It's fantastic. I, I try to listen to it myself, and I don't have a lot of time to listen to a lot of other podcasts, <laughs> but Cult of Pedagogy is one that I have on my list. So uh, oh, thanks thank again you. for being here, Jennifer. Thank you so much, Greg. It was really a, a fun time to be on here. So that's a wrap again. Uh, special shout out and thanks to my guest, Jennifer Gonzalez. And as we wrap it up, folks, and keep rolling through 2020, always remember, do what you can in your school and community to create better schools for kids.